Today's uh, scripture reading <clears throat> is in Matthew 23, 1 through 12. Our sermon today is uh, How to Be Great. So I'm looking forward to see how that turns out. Um, it's on page 1034 in your uh, pew Bibles. Matthew 23, 1 through 12. 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men <clears throat> excuse me, and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. All right, so let's talk about uh, this whole Servant Sunday thing that we do every year about this time. We try to set aside a Sunday to talk about servanthood in the church. It's a, it's a value of the kingdom that Jesus brought, and therefore it's a value of our church. And one thing that we say around here from time to time is that serving matters here. This is one of our several, we've got several statements of matters here. Kids matter here. People matter here. Uh, a lot of th- missions matter here. Scripture matters here. We, but one of those things that matters is serving. And so we say we roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty in service. It's uh, something that we believe in. It's, uh, we don't just um, come, right? We don't just show up. We find ways to plug in. And those who are in leadership are not exempted from this. In fact, we believe that those in leadership in the church are to lead by example in rolling their sleeves up and getting their hands dirty in service. Uh, so we don't get to just sit on the, the high chair, not the baby high chair, but you know, the chair of honor. Uh, speaking of the chair of honor, this story that we read today, Jesus mentioned how there were some guys in his day that really liked having that chair of honor. And it reminded me of this story I've probably told you before. I know I mentioned it not too long ago in our, uh, in our circle. But it's a story that it just still cracks me up to this day. It's, uh, let's see, it's probably at least about 15 years old now. But I was about, I don't know, 21. And I, was, I had my first worship ministry job. Uh, I don't, it didn't pay much. But it, I thought it was really cool. And so to just, you know, to have a job as a worship leader. And so um, I was serving in that capacity and, and I had this situation where I went into our Sunday school class one day. It was my first day to show up for this Sunday school class. Uh, they had been inviting me and I don't know why I hadn't been going before. Um, maybe it overlapped with worship practice or something. I don't know. But I showed up one day and I guess I was a little early and I sat down in a chair 
And then I realized that I was sitting in like the chair. And, and so I got up and I moved. You know, I, I joked about it. All right, well, then life goes on. Well, I get a call from the pastor of that church on uh, like Monday-ish saying, I need you to come in. We need to talk. Well, he said that there were some people who were concerned about how I sat in his chair during the Sunday school class. I barely even remembered sitting in his chair <laughs> during the Sunday school class. Well, it turns out that some people was his wife. And so he proceeded to call her on speakerphone while I was in the room and reassure her that I was not trying to commit mutiny. I was not trying to take over the church. <laughs> it was just a mistake. <laughs> I'm thinking, dude, I'm 21 years old. The last thing I want to do is pastor this church. I promise you. I mean, I didn't want to pastor any church at that point. That was like bottom of my list. I'm just the music guy. Leave me alone. So... <laughs> And I'll leave you alone. We laugh about that, and it sounds so ridiculous. But we all have this tendency to defend our right to the chair of honor in some way, shape, or form. For you, it might be a literal chair. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe you've got a chair in your home, and you're like, that is my chair. Stay out of my chair. Uh, for others, it might be just... Your right to speak when you want to speak. And if other people try to speak, you'll just talk right over them. You're defending your right to the chair of honor. Uh, you know, maybe it's even, I mean, it just manifests itself in so many different ways. Maybe you're that guy in the family or that gal in the family that just has to have their way every time. And you're really good at getting it. You might have, uh, it might be an overt aggressive thing like nope this is the way it is or it might be kind of one of those passive aggressive things uh, you know or it might be uh, that you're a five-year-old and you know how to get your way <laughs> by just doing the I don't know all kids are born with this innate thing of wanting to defend their right to the chair of honor right in their own way there's a lot of different ways that this happens it boils down probably to some kind of selfish pride that we deal with in our lives where we want things our way we want uh, we want the chair of honor we want the chair of power and authority at least the benefits that come with it if not the responsibilities so how does it work then to say things like Jesus said the greatest among you will be your servant. I mean, if we're honest, that sounds ridiculous. Like, if you live in the real world, do you really think that this works? That the greatest among you will be your servant? Because if you take on the mindset of a servant, how are you ever going to get your way in this world, right? In this world where it's like dog eat dog, and boy, I mean, if you don't defend your right to the chair of honor, then who will, right? You've got to step in and, and, and get after it and take what's yours or else, I mean, who's going to do it for you? Do we really believe that this is possible, that the greatest among you could be the one who is your servant? Well, let's find out. 
So Jesus sometimes got in fights. Not fist fights that we know of, but arguments. A little heated. I mean, heated enough that they would want to kill him. Kind of heated. Uh, and this was one of those cases where he was battling it out. Kind of a, a battle of the wits is how it started out. Uh, a battle of the wits with the celebrities of his day. The celebrities of his day were these famous, rich, powerful guys that ran Israel. A lot of them were called Sadducees. That was kind of like one political party, if you will. And then there was another group called Pharisees, and they were another power broker group. And, and these guys, you know, they didn't have movie stars back then. These were kind of their celebrities. And kind of like some, some politicians today are celebrities, and some pastors today are celebrities, and these guys were kind of all that rolled into one. They were, in that day and time, you know, church and state weren't separated in any kind of way. They were, they were the societal leaders. They were the famous people. They were the rich people. And they liked that. And they liked to defend their right to the chair of honor in, in different ways. And they were all threatened by Jesus. By his popularity, by the kinds of things he was teaching. And so for different reasons, they found themselves threatened by them. And they're in this showdown. And Jesus is showing them up, and they don't like this. In fact, I think the last thing that Jesus had said is he, he challenged their notion of what the Messiah would be like. And they all pictured this King David-looking guy that would come out and, and beat up all of God's enemies with a sword and, and get rid of Rome and reestablish Israel as a you know, powerful nation and an and a, um, independent nation. Just a, a king, a guy. And Jesus says, well, David himself referred to the Messiah as his Lord. If it's his son, how is this Messiah figure his Lord? And that twisted their minds up for a while. And while their brain was still hurting over this idea of how the Messiah could be even greater than David, he starts to tell his disciples, you know, these guys, you should listen to what they teach, but don't do what they do. I mean, they're teaching you the law of Moses, but they're not living it out. Listen to what they teach, Try to live by it, but man, don't do what these guys do. I mean, Jesus was just not interested in being their friends. <laughs> and he was very public about that. And he says this, Everything they do is done for people to see. Now we're going to get to these weird things that don't make any sense to us in a second, but for now... They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long and they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others, which just means teacher, but it was a term of respect. And there's nothing wrong with titles that denote what you do for a living, but there might be something wrong when you really want people to call you that and you relish in your title and it gives you a sense of your self-worth. So what are these phylacteries? I don't know if you've ever seen them before. They look kind of like that. 
And when you wear them, it looks kind of like this. This is a, a practicing Jew, a, a soldier from the Israeli army. So this is a modern day example of phylacteries and they tie them on their forehead and they tie them around their arms. And this seems really weird. Why do they do that? Uh, well, there's some scripture, usually, written and rolled up inside this thing. And this is kind of taken from uh, in the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy where it says to keep God's word and God's law, keep it impressed upon yourself all the time. And so the example that it gave was, you know, keep it on your forehead and on your arms. And, and so they created these phylacteries to literally tie scripture to their head and their arms. And this would, they still do this uh, morning prayer. Morning prayer, they'll tie on the phylacteries and they'll go to prayer. Armed with scripture, right? Literally. <laughs> Tied down to their body. Well, in Jesus' day, there were some guys who were extra holy. And so they would make their phylacteries extra large. I don't know how, how big they got. You know, maybe they had like a big helmet on. I don't, I don't know. what. It, I wish we had pictures of that. It might have been awesome. And then another thing that they did was part of their garb, they would have tassels at the corner of their garment. They, it was woven and then you would tie it off in knots at the end. It was just kind of like a practical thing to keep it from unraveling. But it became this like symbol of prestige as if you, if you had an ornate tassel. And these kind of supposedly look a little bit like this. Uh, you might, you know, have various colors, or you might have, uh, you know, specially tied knots, or it'd be extra long. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but but we can't laugh too hard because we do some really weird fashion stuff today. I'm telling you. But apparently this was it back then. You know, uh, forget your tattered jeans. Get you some long tassels at the end of your robe, and you're in. You're in. You're all right. So it was expensive, apparently. And, and so these guys loved to have extra long tassels with their extra large phylacteries. And they were in business. It was clear to everyone, that's the guy. That guy is the man. All right? So Jesus points this out. He says, listen to what they say. Don't live like what they do. Because... He says in his kingdom, here's how it's going to work. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. He even told a story one time about how it would be better if you go to a, a party rather than going and taking the seat of honor to go sit at a place of dishonor, just a, a normal seat. And he said it would be better for you to be moved up <laughs> to first class than to be demoted from first class, right? In front of everyone on the plane. Of course, 21st century version. But hadn't thought about that parallel with first class. Any of y'all buy first class tickets? No, it's <laughs> just, just play it. So here's kind of what he's saying in a nutshell. If you want to fill out your card today, your note card. Those who climb are sure to fall. Those who kneel are sure to rise. I didn't say those who are named kneel. But, you know, we could substitute. 
I get made fun of a lot for Neil Neil, you know, middle school. Uh, middle school is brutal. Sorry. Okay, let's back on track. So this is kind of Jesus' statement. The greatest among you will be your servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is not really brand new with Jesus. He's actually taking some wisdom that was quite old and goes back at least to King Solomon. Where King Solomon said, and you can find this in Proverbs 16, he said, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, not H-O-T-T-I-E, <laughs> but H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, a haughty spirit goes before stumbling. This is where we get our statement, pride comes before the fall. So Jesus just takes that and turns it around in, in a more positive version that if you want to be great, humble yourself and become a servant. How to be great. The greatest among you will be your servant. And so we say that those who climb are sure to fall and those who kneel are sure to rise. Kneeling is a posture of an inferior. We don't think about that very much. You know, kneeling for many of us, especially if you grew up in the church at all, is associated with praying. We kneel to pray. It's a religious expression. But we don't think about where that came from, maybe. Because in days gone by, it was very clear who was superior and who was inferior. And if you were inferior, you knelt in deference to those who were superior. And kneeling has always been a posture of those who are serving. And it's the posture that Jesus took when he knelt to wash the feet of his disciples, right? And so we kneel. And that's, in Jesus' kingdom, how we rise. This seems scary to us. Maybe if we choose to serve, if we choose to kneel in service to others, aren't we going to get run over? Aren't we going to get trampled on? Aren't we going to be forgotten, shoved aside, seen as worthless? Jesus served. And what happened to him? This carpenter who recruited a bunch of fishermen and went around serving people even to the point of death was raised in victory. First by God through the resurrection and then through the praise of his people as his movement sparked and spread around this globe. And someday, we're told, in, the very, in a very beautiful passage about how Jesus was a servant, and we should have the same mindset, we're told that through his service, now there's going to come a day that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So if you want a case study for does it work, maybe Jesus could provide the ultimate example 
of what happened when the ultimate servant served. And yeah, for a little while there, it looked like it was not going well. And yet, look at how he has risen. Do you think that when Jesus knelt and washed the feet of his disciples, that he was giving them authority over him? I mean, he took the posture of a servant. And in the world, in the world's way of doing things, in the kingdoms of this world, when you take the posture of a servant, you are saying that this other person is above you. But do you think Jesus was telling his disciples that they were above him? That they had authority over him? Not a chance. If you read what, what he said, he was clearly still in charge of the room. Instead, he was redefining what leadership looks like. That in fact, the one who's in charge of you is the one on their knees serving you. Because that's what leadership is, what true leadership is about. Serving. One of the papers in your bulletin is our leadership recommendations for this year. And we need to nominate uh, two business team members this year and one leadership team member this year. Carolyn Hogue's term is up on the leadership team. She's available to have another term if she so chooses. Uh, but we would love your recommendations for that leadership team spot. You can write down her name or any other name that you think would be a great example of a servant leader. And some of the other things that are listed there as well. And same for our business team. We have a couple of people whose terms are up. Pat Eads and L.M. Welch. And they are both eligible for another term if they so chose, and if you so chose, and if the nominating team chooses and all that. But feel free to list any names there, that, including theirs, that you feel be examples of strong servant leadership and some of the other qualities listed there. You don't have to do that right now. I just bring it up while we're talking about what true leadership in the kingdom of Jesus Christ looks like. And it looks like those who are willing to serve. Let's think about this perhaps in a little bit more of a concrete situation. Just everyday life. Because I think the question still remains, how does this play out in our lives today? And, and can this work in the world that we live in? So what would it look like for you to kneel, to become a servant at work, or if you're in school, at school? What would this look like? Well, have you ever had uh, a boss who really liked being the boss? <laughs> Was that a fun work experience for you? How did that go for the business? Have you ever had a boss who genuinely cared about their employees, 
and wanted their employees to succeed. Have you ever worked for someone like that? If you have, how did that go? How does it compare? How did that do for the business? Same question with coworkers. Have you ever had a coworker or maybe a, a friend in school or whatever that was all about themselves? Right? They wanted to be the team leader. Or they wanted to get all the grades. Or they didn't want to get any of the grades because that's not cool. Or whatever the case is, like they were going to get ahead in whatever game they were playing. And uh, if it came at your expense or someone else's expense, so be it. If they had to beat you up or make fun of you to feel better about themselves, they would do it. And how'd that go for them? Where are they at today? Even if they rose up the corporate ladder or whatever ladder they were climbing, how many friends did they have when they got to the top? Have you ever had a coworker or a classmate who was all about encouraging their other classmates or their other coworkers that was always looking for some way to serve, some way to help out? Hey, let me help you with that. Do you need to talk about it? I got time, sure. You ever had someone like that around? And did that person ever lack for friendship? Did they ever lack for... I mean, usually those people, even in, even in our crazy mixed up world, usually those people find success in the workplace, find success in school. Even though they're others first and not trying to promote themselves, they end up getting promoted oftentimes. And even when they don't end up getting promoted for whatever reason, they're the ones that end up with the true wealth, with the true power and influence in that place. Because they're the ones that everyone looks to, they're the ones that everyone loves and cares about. Have you ever noticed this to be true? What would it look like for you to kneel, to take on the role of a servant in your workplace or in your school? Let's think about another uh, sphere of life in our homes. Have you ever had anyone in your family who just always wanted to get their way? If you've ever had a two-year-old in your family, <laughs> then you have experienced this. And the only thing they have going for them is that they're cute. That's the only way they survive that season of their life, I'm convinced. But as you grow older, that kind of thing is tolerated less. And, but probably still, you probably know someone in your family or extended family who just always likes to get their way. And if you don't know someone, might be you. 
This one hits a lot closer to home, literally and figuratively, because do we really believe that servanthood has a place in the home? That a spouse should serve their spouse? Should submit and serve? Should kneel? Should take that posture? One to the other. Or how often do we give in to that impulse that what have you done for me lately? And what do I need out of this marriage? And parents, too. On the one hand, we live in a culture where parents sacrifice a lot for their kids and they haul them all over the place to do this and that, or they buy them all kinds of stuff to be able to do this and that. But, I still think we have to ask ourselves, are we giving our kids what they really need the most? Because a lot of times what our kids really need the most are the things that require us to sacrifice our agenda and our time And are we teaching our kids this lesson? To serve their siblings and to serve their parents. Are we teaching them what love really looks like? Are our families a place where a little bit of God's kingdom way is happening here on earth? Where serving is a value that we lift up in our homes. What would it look like for you to make serving matter in your home? And last, in our church, and in our local communities, and, and in our circles that gather, and all the other little small groups that rise up within a church, how are we living? What does it look like to kneel, to serve, to not come wondering how we're going to be served or storming out angry when we're not served enough but instead coming and wondering how can we serve and be an encouragement and take a different posture towards those who are here. I believe that it's true. Those who climb are sure to fall and those who kneel are sure to rise. If you want to find out, and you're bold enough, dive in and give it a try. Try it for a week. Try it for a month. See what happens. In your um, multitude of paperwork, you'll also find this sheet that says, uh, get plugged in. Discover your gifts and abilities by jumping in and serving with us. And probably, you've, if you've been around here more than a year, you've probably filled one of these out before because we pass these out each year. And uh, we try to update it a little bit as we go. But uh, it has you writing a one beside things you might be interested in, a two beside areas where you already are serving, 
and want to continue and a three beside areas where you may need to stop serving. That's always scary to put that on there. But I think it's important that we uh, not leave people feeling trapped in stuff. And they may need, feel a need to, or God may be calling them to serve somewhere else. And they need to say no to one thing so they can say yes to something else. And so we try to make sure that we have those opportunities. Not just once a year. I mean, if, if this strikes you next February, just let us know. <laughs> but this is a chance for you to stop and take inventory and think about uh, where you can serve. And I want to give a specific pitch this year for one particular opportunity uh, for serving. And that is our, uh, it's the very first thing on the list, and I underlined it, our nursery ministry. Now we have some workers who are on staff as our nursery attendants, and they're good at what they do. But we thankfully have a lot of babies and more on the way, right? So that's always exciting. And I mean, I don't know, was it last year we had like four babies in a year and this year we're going for like two or three. I, anyway, it's exciting, good times, but the nursery gets really exciting too, the more babies there are in there. And so we could really use some volunteers just to help out our nursery staff. And so what this means is, does anyone in this room like babies at all? Okay, <laughs> I thought so. How many of you like to change diapers? I thought that too. So I've got a great deal for you. Our nursery staff has wholeheartedly said they will change all the diapers. But if you like babies enough to hold one for a few minutes on an occasional Sunday morning, then you might write a one beside our nursery ministry. I mean, really, how bad can that be? A sweet baby. Just one hour, two hours, every now and then. No diapers. <laughs> that has a diaper, you just say, diaper. <laughs> so it's the perfect arrangement for all of you who love babies but don't want another of your own. <laughs> so consider that as you go and look through that list. And uh, hey, for that matter, Julie would love to train someone else up on the bass. If you're up for trying something new, uh, or if any kind of instrument or something you want to play, or whatever. If you want to sing, let us know. There's all sorts of opportunities on there, uh, whether you're musical or not, or whether you're handy or not, or whether you like math or not, all kinds of things. So just look through the list and see what might be something that you might be interested in, or maybe you just have questions about it, and we'll try and get in touch with you and get things rolling with that. And again, you'll have time after this service to work on that uh, if you'd like. So, I want to conclude I want to conclude just by just by saying that it never really works out to defend your right to the chair of honor. Never ends up pretty. That was uh, the first pastor that I ever served under. Uh, the last pastor that I served under had a completely different philosophy. And it was all the time turning over leadership responsibility freely, without paranoia, at least not that showed. And man, it caused so much growth in my life and in others' lives. Just a 
completely, just completely a game changer. And we see the effect of that selfless spirit in our own church body and in our own church family all the time. And we have some great servants in this church, and we have for a long time. And each year we try and pick somebody. Uh, we have a lot to choose from. And so each year we try and pick someone just to honor and say thank you for serving our church. Thank you for being such a great example of serving in our church. I believe last year we honored Donna Ward, who's our children's ministry director, and especially in our uh, Cypress Street kids on Sunday mornings. Uh, she's back there just about every week. And our kids are in great hands, and uh, they love her, and they get a lot out of it. So we celebrated her last year, and today we're going to celebrate a friend that we lost this last year, who was a great servant to our church, and I'm going to show you a, just a little video, and then we'll uh, come in and share about that as well. servant of the church I I spent a lot of time up at the church obviously and, and so I get to kind of see a lot of the people that pop in to just do things and uh, Alan was a guy that stayed busy with a lot of work his, his work was in demand and yet he often found time just to stop by the church and fix this or fix that or uh, you know change out a light or whatever the case is and always just very behind the scenes about it, very humble about it. When I think about Alan and his service and, and serving our church, a couple things come to mind. Uh, his heart for the church, his heart for the Lord, his heart, his willingness to serve. One of my first memories of him serving was helping put the white fence up, the vinyl fence around the playground. There's this really nice LED light way up in the in our carport area. It gives you a sense of uh, security and, and well, it just helps you see where you're walking. And uh, so when I walk out in the evening, uh, that light is there, I think, uh, thank you. Thank you, Alan. I'm glad we get to celebrate Alan today. We, we were going to change all the bulbs out in the sanctuary, you know, to the LEDs. Oh, yeah. So we rent this lift. Alan, we said, well, he's he's got some electrical knowledge, so we're going to let him, I guess, go up there and, and work the lift. Well, we get in there, you know, and we, we get all the bulbs changed out and everything. And then we said, well, you know why we got the lift here? We'll go out there and change some of the bulbs out in the uh, the outside lights on the big parking lot. <laughs> so anyway, we motor on out there, he does, and he's going up in it, and, and then Dale says something about going up with him. No, no, I, I, I don't want nobody up here with me. <laughs> why? He's, I don't like heights. <laughs> I said, well, why in the world have you been up there? 
I don't know why, but he was kind of okay in the sanctuary, I guess. But but out outside, he seemed to act like he was a little more nervous. But but he, I had no idea that he didn't like. I, I I just well, I guess that's the reason he does floors. He doesn't have to get up here. I don't know what he was like when he got home that day. What he told Patrice, he might have had to rest for a few days. <laughs> Laid on the floor, maybe. Oh, I don't know. And uh, I'm not sure that his motivation for serving was entirely from the Lord. He he told me one time, he said, he said I'm not afraid of very much. But he said, I'm afraid of Nancy Elmore. So apparently Nancy, uh, which she can do with several people, had a had a way of motivating Alan. Thank you, Alan, for your life and your service. What a blessing and honor it was to get to work with Alan as a board of trustee member. And later, Alan always said he worked harder after he was off the board than when he was on the board. That was because Alan was so talented in so many ways and so willing to use these talents in his time for our church. It was easy to make him my go-to person for many jobs around the church and for his opinion on repair and maintenance issues. No matter where I am, inside or outside our church building, I can see many projects on which Alan worked. The last major project Alan completed for our church was some electrical work and refinishing of the wood floors in the two bedrooms of the church rental property at 1404 North 3rd. Alan transformed the damaged, ugly floors into the most beautiful pecan wood floors you have ever seen. There's no way I could estimate the monetary value of all the work Alan donated through the years. He has freed up many repair and maintenance dollars so that this savings allowed our church to do more in the ministry line and outreach projects. Alan was truly a servant of his Lord and Savior. As a direct result of Alan living out his Christian witness, we have had the pleasure and joy of knowing Bob and Helen Montgomery and having them worship with us. And we've got uh, some, just some uh, members of Alan's family and uh, here with us today and, and we want to honor them as well. And uh, if would you all mind just standing for a moment and let us clap for you? Sorry to make you, I should have had you stand first, but thank y'all. And uh, you don't have to keep standing, just thank you. And we, uh, we usually give a, a gift basket or something like that to whoever, but this was kind of a different situation. And so uh, we, uh, we had this idea and one of our, our resident one of our resident artists, Brittany York, um, it kind of made it happen for us. So we had this dream of, of making a sign about serving that we would hang somewhere in our church. And uh, 
and we wanted to make it on wood so that every time we saw it we would remember uh, who it was about. So you can check it out once we get it hung up better but it says uh, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And that's 1 Peter 4.10. So look for that hanging around here somewhere soon. And, uh, and that can be a, a reminder to us of, of a great example of servanthood uh, in our church family. And uh, So I'm going to invite our, our praise team now to come and uh, see if they can manage to get through a song after all that. <laughs> And uh, so if you wouldn't mind, uh, they're going to come. Let's close in prayer and then, uh, and then they'll lead us in a song. Father, we thank you for this reminder of the importance of servitude and of servanthood in your kingdom. God, we, we think back on, on so many people in our lives, and Alan's one of them, that led by example in showing us what it looks like to be a servant and what it means that the greatest among us will be a servant to all of us and God we pray that you would grow through your spirit in our life a heart that's quick to serve we pray this in Jesus name Amen would you stand with us and we'll sing together